0: Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You ready?
1: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy.
0: We do doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes!
2: I just want to say it's an honor to be chatting with you guys, to watch you guys on you know TV all the time, and big fans of uh, what you guys, you know, uh, what you guys bring, and you know, know why you guys want to interview little old me.
0: Definitely, man. Listen, likewise, big fan of yours. I mean, grew up watching you, and then I, I'm gonna try and exercise some restraint and ex- uh, asking you a million questions about your time on Parks and Rec. So, yeah, okay, I'm <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> an
2: open book. Whatever you guys want to talk about.
1: You're listening
0: to DraftKings Network. What's up everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me, with me as always on the ones and twos, Brandon Newman looking incredibly like Florida man today and my father, Mike (laughs) Golick Sr. Uh, who I'm here with in the flesh. We're actually doing the show together. We're out in Colorado Springs, uh, the Notre Dame Athletic Director Summit out here that you and I are helping MC and, you know, host some panels for. Basically just ends up with us in a hotel that I have now found out has better internet connection than my apartment, which is sad.
1: It is phenomenal here. I mean, we got in last night, so it was dark. We couldn't see everything. We're staying at, at the Broadmoor. It is a beautiful, beautiful facility out here right by the the Olympic Training Center. I'm very excited oh. to go cuz a lot of the uh the things we're doing are over there. I can't wait to go over there and act like I'm an Olympian.
0: Well, and everyone and everyone who's ever listened to you talk about anything knows oh. the Olympics are your jam. You obviously came up as a wrestler, so yeah. there was all of that baked into the background of it, but this is like Nirvana for you getting to go over and see the training center. I'm excited to raid the store. Now The thing I'm worried about is the stolen valor factor of this. So I had two friends of mine who came out here and same thing, went to the Olympic training facility and did what we're all going to do, right? We're going to go and buy the the U.S. Olympic team gear. Red, white, and blue, USA all over everything, loud and proud. They made the mistake of wearing it out and wearing it to the airport. And so then someone inevitably saw them coming from the place where the Olympic Training Center is right. and asked if they were Olympians and actually asked one of my friends if he was the coach instead, which <laughs> had to be a tough ego yeah. blow there. So I feel like we got to buy a separate bag and pack this because I can't deal with the secondhand embarrassment of having to explain that I am not on the like Olympic shot put uh, circuit. It'll
1: only be till we get out of here, right? We just got to get back home. See, because yeah. you and I have talked about this when, when we've done, We we have other gear that's for the armed services that we've been sent over the years. Yes. And I just I can't do it. I I won't do it. I'm not going to wear that out in public. I don't feel I deserve to. I'm not going to play like I was involved in that. My father was a former Marine. My father-in-law was a former Marine. Respect the hell out of the service members. I'm not wearing that gear. But this gear, I'm not going to wear it like, I'm not going to wear something that says Olympic wrestling team on it. Sure. It's going to be Team USA. You know, right. I'm going to get the colors, Team USA. Nothing that will make anybody look at it and say, oh, I wonder if he was an Olympian. Because while I would have loved to have been, and my brother Bob yeah. would have, I think, had it, Chance to be, he was a great wrestler in guess, college. He was a two-sport
0: All-American, two so sport, All-American, All-American football and wrestler at Notre the, the, Dame.
1: The problem was, that he, as a senior at Notre Dame, he hurt his knee in the Cotton Bowl, So, and he didn't wrestle that year, his senior year, because you couldn't wrestle, you couldn't do two sports, or be a professional in one. And he was going in the draft oh, okay. in 79. This was before, like, Herschel Walker, you know, did the did the um, yeah. the, the skeleton, I think, or, or whatever it was. The bobsled. The yeah. bobsled. And you could do both. But it was before because, so he couldn't have tried out for the 80 Olympics. And it's a good thing he didn't hold off on the draft to go to the 80 Olympics because we boycotted said Olympics. Yes, exactly. So he would have done ta- it. He would have done it for nothing. So um, he didn't. He went in the draft, went to the Patriots, but he was a great wrestler. And he, I I personally, I think he could have had one hell of a chance of making the Olympic wrestling team.
0: Would have been pretty wild. Yeah. And so uh, instead of him getting to live that firsthand and you guys getting to live it secondhand, now we get to go out here and just buy the gear. It's exactly right. Feel good
1: about Uh, (laughs) ourselves. We got a
0: great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five star rating, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well as Samsung TV Plus, where you can see us live, DraftKingsNetwork.com, where you can see us live 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. Every single day, leading you guys into our friends over at the Dan Lebetard Show. We got Roy Hibbert. Uh, yes, we, we got do. a chance to talk to for today, former Pacers legend, center there, great uh, Georgetown Hoya. Great, mm-hmm. got a chance to talk with him about some of the bigs that have been in this NBA playoffs. Really, the focus of the MVP for the last few years. And I got to gush about his appearance on Parks and Rec, finally to his face.
1: Yeah, that that, that is so cool that that <laughs> he was in that, and and we were close to having three fourths of the team. Uh, A three-fourths of the rest of the playoffs have legitimate All-Star big men, but the Boston Celtics knocked out Embiid and the MVP. So it's just in the West where you have Jokic against Anthony Davis, and that that series starts tonight. So, And and everybody is talking about that's the matchup they're looking for. In the East, it's either Tatum versus Jimmy Butler or Jimmy Butler versus everybody, since he has to be such the playoff king right now.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Butler is that meme of the guy fighting his way through the zombies in hell (laughs) every series. Bring me your best. And that one is going to be super interesting because you're right. It's in both series, strength on strength is at the same position, right? right? So you've got Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, all in the backcourt, all in the wings. That's kind of where that series is based. You got Bam and Robert Williams who will occupy that role. But in the Western Conference uh, uh, Championship Series that gets started tonight, so Lakers and Denver are going to be the game that kicks off the party in the uh, conference championship round. That is the battle everyone's focused on here. And it's so interesting how quickly all of this is turned now after in the wake of Joel Embiid winning the MVP and then losing because now – Joker set up for a primetime narrative redemption sequence for him. The guy's already stamped himself as one of the best players on the planet. One of the best bigs we've ever seen coming off two MVPs and this close to a third. And now he's back in the conference championship for the first time since the bubble before his MVPs with a real chance to actually win this thing in a year in a way that would be hilarious given the way people tried to use that against him in the MVP.
1: And the, the amazing thing is it's, You you think about this matchup of seven footers, man. People start to go old school and think the dump in, back to the ball, back somebody down. You ain't getting that here. You got one of the maybe the best big man passing man uh, in the history of the game who can play to the outside. Everybody calls AD a guard in a seven foot two body the way he can play away from the basket. So that's the amazing thing is to see guys this size be this versatile and play and not just the dump down. You're tall, you go, you get dumped down into the paint, back your way in and make a shot. You'll see some of that, but you're not going to see a ton of that. Yeah, Joker will still give you work like yeah, that. On he the will, block,
0: best believe. And on AD's best day, and I think that's got to be the worry. I mean, we everyone knows Brandon uh, our producer Diehard Lakers fan who has lived the same reality that the rest of Lakers fans have, which is wondering what version of Anthony Davis offensively you're going to get, and that's going to be the difficulty of this series because as we often see with guys, for example, like uh, you know Jared Vanderbilt and company, kind of had to do it by committee, guarding Steph Curry last week. But in general, a lot of time is how much time are you going to spend having your best player guard the other team's best player? And so for the Lakers, it's going to be all right. How much time do you spend having Anthony Davis solely? lockdown on Nikola Jokic and the energy suck that creates knowing you're going to need stuff from him offensively because dad my biggest worry for the Lakers this series would be the LeBron James foot like you saw some spots last series still didn't look 100% right and probably isn't going to be going forward LeBron's entered Bill Belichick range of mental warfare, in my mind, where I assume, man, he's probably been saving himself for this series. He knows how to manage his body towards the long run of the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. But he's also 38 years old and been a little bit banged up. And I have serious worries about if he can't shoulder that load, then what for Los Angeles? Oh,
1: without a doubt. And and also, I always like looking at who's the other person that's going to step up. We keep talking about the stars for both teams. But will the the role players, who steps up? And can somebody do it on the road, right? Yeah. So, you know, obviously the Lakers are starting on the road. So what role player – because usually those role players step up big at home. That That's usually where – you know, they, they make their money. But who can do it on the road and try and steal that one, which is what the Lakers are going to try and do from Denver, is steal one on the road. So that we'll see. And as far as, yeah, they just played in this in this series in 2020, the year the Lakers won in the bubble, what do you take from that? And as Joker said, absolutely nothing. Yep. There are two players on the Lakers that were on that team, LeBron and A.D. Nobody else is on that team from 2020, so you there's nothing from that matchup you can even look at.
0: Uh, no, and, and really, that was Jokic before he really hit the height of exactly. his powers. That yep. was pre yep. the couple MVP seasons, so you're getting a much better version of him, and... In all actuality, it doesn't feel like. I mean, that doesn't feel like. There's not a lot of pressure on Denver, at least the way we look at this series. There should be because yes. this is the best opportunity yep. for them, and because for the Lakers, I heard Bamani Jones talking about this the other day. And Brandon, I'd be curious if your my mic, uh, your mic's open here does it feel like the Lakers are playing with house money right now? Like, are you looking at this and saying now that we're here, I expect them to win a championship or is it, this team has already maxed out what they have been capable of based on the moves that we made in the roster right now.
3: Oh my gosh. I, I feel like you're, you're right. We are playing with house money. No one expected the Lakers to actually be here outside of Laker fans that have the delusion of being able to follow LeBron James into uh a, uh, I don't know where was Moses going, uh, the Holy Land, but uh, I, I think that realistically, they made moves at the trade deadline, something that they didn't do last year with LeBron James, which was inexplicable. We didn't expect AD to consistently be healthy this year, but now that we're right here at the cusp, it's not house money anymore. All the pressure's on this LeBron James Lakers fan versus uh, Kobe's Lakers fan, and we need to stack rings if we're a LeBron, and LeBron is still one of the best players in the NBA.
1: I, listen, my, my thought is if you get this far, the house money is over. I know LeBron was asked that question. He was like, and he said to the reporter, what do you mean? And LeBron was like, I mean, I know what you mean, but what do you mean? Yeah. You know, like, what, what, what are we talking about here? And, and I guess that's my thought because you'd say the same thing about Miami, right? An eighth seed you know trying to make it to the finals and that they're playing with house money and they're they're so underdog to boston but are you emphatically saying miami has zero shot with what we play off jimmy well no
0: i'm not saying they don't have a shot i'm just trying to figure out because in the nba what we figured out is basically it's the slander olympics who are we going to give more grief to on the other side we did in the last round with the sixers versus the celtics it's that who's more has more pressure argument and On the other side in that Eastern Conference series, I think it's overwhelmingly Boston. Nobody expects Miami to win anything, even if we believe they can. In this series in the Western Conference, it's a lot more interesting because you've got the historical implications of LeBron James on that team. You've got Anthony Davis, an off-malign player. But then on the other side, we've got a Jokic situation that now looks a little bit more complex in light of this year. We'll ask that question. Who has more pressure heading into the Western Conference Finals? And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Masked Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. The the pressure conversation in this series does become really interesting. And I think gut reaction, I feel like the player with the most pressure on them in the series is probably Anthony Davis. Because he's arrived at the weirdest place that I can conceive of in sports, which is a non MVP who gets the expectations of someone who's won the award. Like... We just went through this with Joel Embiid where he found out there are rich people problems that come with having been named the MVP. And as soon as he lost that series, now it's, why weren't you doing enough? Let's parse through all your words. Let's figure out why you said this in the postgame. Why do you keep running out of gas? It was like everybody had been keeping the receipts. And then once we got through the argument about his MVP, we dumped him in his lap. With A.D., They've been there. And that combination of being the Lakers big man and playing with LeBron James is probably the reason we end up in that spot. But for Jokic... Now that he didn't win the MVP this year, it does feel like there's a bit of a weight lifted where people go, "All right, yeah, this guy's still balling, and this team is clearly good and has been the best in the NBA." And so, while it would be a failure, Anthony Davis's performance to me feels much more vital in the way that he's going to be viewed as a player in the league right now. And,
1: and see, and, and I'm going with Jokic. Uh, I, I'm I'm going that way. I, I think. And I think a lot of the AD thing has to do with it's the Lakers. It's like talking about the Cowboys. They're talking about the Yankees. They're talking about Notre Dame. It's like they're the national flavor, right? When you talk about Lakers or talk about Denver, Denver gets disrespected, right? I mean, if you talk to the casual NBA fan who's going to turn on a series, they're going to turn it on. They're going to hear blah, blah, versus the Lakers. Oh, I'm turning it on. Yeah. Because it's the Lakers. You know, it just ha or, you know, obviously if it's Golden State and the Lakers that we just had, that's intriguing. But I think, unfortunately for Denver, they get kind of cast aside. And they have one of the best players that's not the best player in the game in Joker. So I think the pressure's on him because I've said it before. I think in in the major sports, basketball is the one you can closely tie legacy to championships. Uh, Because you're on the court as much as you are, more than any other sport. So, Joker's got two MVPs and no titles. And I've rattled off on this show the last five years, you know, the one of the years they were six. But other than that, it's been one, two, or three that they've been in in their conference. So, to me, you, you be that MVP that says you're the best player in the league and you haven't closed a deal on a title. A.D., is, has won a title, albeit in the bubble. He has, he,
0: but does not seem to no, no. get the credit reputation-wise I, I coming off that.
1: I, I agree, but I'm just thinking about Jokic in his legacy. Does he end up like Karl Malone or Charles Barkley to be considered one of the best players to have never won a ring. At least AD has a piece of hardware you could put on his finger.
0: He does, but I, I think still more people would associate that with LeBron James. And I think for Anthony Davis, it's always been about expectation versus reality. And with him talent-wise, he's the more talented player of these two bigs. Right. And uh, we've yeah. always known he's got so much ability, we saw it get tapped into in the bubble. And then because everyone's thought was, all right, he's the next guy. And especially, you talk about prestige position. Lakers big man is yeah. Cowboys yes. quarterback, yes. Notre Dame quarterback, yep. Yankee shortstop. That is the position. So, so of does, that that, does that
1: magnify in, a, in an unfair way well, to why you say AD is more talented? I agree, but Joker Joker's better. But that's He's but that's better. I guess that's
0: what I'm saying is why I feel like the more of the spotlight goes on him is because. With AD, we see the talent, we know the shoes you're trying to fill, and yet we see hot and cold with how it goes. We see concerns with injury, stamina, actual offensive consistency, especially in the postseason. Versus Joker, that line's static now, man. Like You know what you're getting. When you turn on a Nikola Jokic game, you know what you're getting. Probably a (laughs) triple-double. You're getting probably a triple-double. You've got 50-plus point capability like we've seen in the postseason and a guy who's arguably the best-passing big man of all time. And so I do feel like there is now a a respect that's starting to build. It's taken a long time because, like you said – I don't know if we're ever going to get people super excited about the Nuggets on a national level. It's going to be like the San Antonio Spurs, Mm -hmm. where you begrudgingly respect the style of basketball that may not light up your life and may not make you feel things inside, like why you love the game, but it's good and it's lethal and it's effective. And at the core of it is an incredibly fundamentally sound big man.
1: Yeah. And consistency. Very consistent at what he does. I don't know. To me, it's the sport that ties the most to the championships and, Joker this year has a chance to finally get over that hump. AD has been over that hump. He's got the ring. And I know, listen, though this year I do agree, if they win it, it's probably going to be more on AD having the games that he's going to have in this series and in the finals, be it against Miami or by Boston. I I understand that. And so I think that, that that works for him. But I still think in this sport... It's U- tie championships, and Joker hasn't done it, and that's going to be the thing. Yes, he's a great player. He's going to go down as one of the all-time great bigs, maybe the best-passing big, but he couldn't lead his team to a championship. That's always going to hang there, and but, you don't have to say that about AD. But it, it, it's, it's also like, and this is what happens, and this is why
0: these moments are so important because the future is devoid of context. The future doesn't remind you that Jokic spent those last couple of seasons playing with nothing and nobody, that you had injured Jamal Murray in the right. postseason, yep. and it was basically Jokic in the pips for a long stretch of this runs when they're the sixth seed in the Western Conference trying to drag them there during MVP seasons. This is the first year where we look and we see depth, lank, right? Like Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., all these guys, they brought KCP over yeah, as yeah. their veteran yeah. with championship experience off that Lakers box team and he's finally got the help to go along with this and It would be fascinating what would be possible with the discussion. Like, Would this allow us to finally start appreciating a player like Jokic if they did? I'm almost rooting for Denver for that reason because we've got such a special player. And it seems like the public conversation around him has been so restrained by people not wanting to elevate him beyond a certain level because of what you mentioned there. And so if he just gets one, now do some of those morons that were saying you can't give him three straight MVPs because he hasn't won in the postseason go away and we see how high we can take this thing i'm always selfishly rooting as a fan and as a person viewing sports to get to watch the greatest at blank in my lifetime and to say potentially we're talking about one of the best bigs which is one yeah, of the coolest yeah. arguments in sports when you start stacking nba bigs all time to get to potentially say that's pretty special stuff
1: uh, listen i agree but you know how cynical fans then can be i could see joker finally winning one and then and, and then they're going. Well, they finally got a team around them. The the health was there, and they put more strength around them. You know, unlike LeBron when he was in Cleveland and just dragged along everybody and still won a time. It's amazing how we do that, though, right?
0: Especially with the specter of Steph and LeBron, who are are two of the ten best players ever, and Joker also might be in that range. Yep. It's just, it is maddening, but it's also very exciting. That's the fun that we've got getting ready to come up tonight. So game one of the Western Conference Finals comes up tonight. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk to a man who knows a lot about being a great big in the NBA, former Pacers star Roy Hibbert, going to chop it up with us about bigs and Parks and Rec next. All right, very excited to have with us today Pacers legend and uh, exemplary big man Roy Hibbert joining the podcast today. Roy, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. How about yourselves?
0: Doing well, man. No complaints. It's I, I, I feel like it's a great time uh, to bring you on here because so much of our postseason discussion has been about just how much the position of the center in the NBA has evolved. Looking at the MVP race from this year, looking at who's left in the postseason right now. What's it like for you as someone that sort of came up through this league at the time where the change was happening to see where we're at with big men currently in this league?
2: Well, you know, I was very fortunate to have, you know, play when I did play when there was a, a, a little bit more of a value of a big guy with a back to the basket. But to be honest with you, a lot of people feel like uh, because how the game is shipped to the outside, bigs like me don't enjoy it. To me, I, I honestly like seeing the lane clear for athletic guys to be able to drive to the rim, finish at the rim. And then you also have those special big guys that can, you know, shoot from the outside and also uh, score in the paint and who are loads in there, but uh, you, it's not like what it used to be, but there, I feel like the, the the it's a little bit better of an inside-outside big guy presence now.
1: Yeah, listen, the last five years, it's been a big guy uh, winning the MVP from Embiid uh, this year to Jokic, the two before, and Giannis, two before that. So you got in the league in 08, played I think, 08 to like 17 in that area there. Yeah. So as you mentioned, that was kind of the shift. So talk about that. When it kind of shifted in the NBA where you started seeing those, what were considered five, starting moving outside a little more?
2: Well, I I would say this, though. uh, Two things. Uh, Popeye Jones, uh, former NBA player, he was my coach in uh, Indy. I think that last year I was in Indy. I think that was like fifteen. Um, you know, the front office had a, a, a meeting and they, and right before practice, and I'm getting up shots before practice, and Popeye comes down, who's my big guy coach, and is like, uh, We just had a full on hour and a half long meeting saying that uh, with analytics, saying the one on one post up is, 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 is the worst shot in basketball. And, you know, I felt a certain type of way about that because that is my shot. But then when you think about it, you know, uh, uh, one guy defending a big guy in the paint and then four people standing around. It, you know, unless that shot goes in, it's pretty much one and done. And, you know, that's a very low percentage shot as opposed to a team that gets up and down, shoots a three, may get a long rebound and somebody does not box out and then they get another three point shot. So that's, that was one aspect of it when I knew it was, uh, when it was shifting. But then again, uh, uh, I, and there's no disrespect to this guy, but, um, But uh, uh, I think, you know, Golden State really started with Andrew Bogut, you know, who was a number one pick, you know, was the go-to guy in Milwaukee. I loved his game. He was a very skilled uh, player. And then, you know, went to uh, Milwaukee, went to Golden State. And then you saw that, you know, he was more a facilitator. And I I started to see, like, you know, it started with him, I would say, in not a bad way, you know, uh, if you understand what I'm saying.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. And now it's gotten to a point where – I think looking at this playoffs, you've got some guys that still seem like they occupy that traditional role of a big right. We had Kevon Looney, who was sort of in that role in Golden State, Robert Williams with the Boston Celtics right now. But then you look at a guy like Nikola Jokic, who's getting ready to go up against Anthony Davis. In your mind, is he the best big man in the game right now?
2: Man, you you think about Jokic and you think about Embiid and you think about, man, it's, it's a lot of, you know, triple doubles, you know. Forty points, twenty rebounds. So uh, it's always a, a pick between those two. But you know, with AD and and, and Jokic, uh, Joker, he, you can't guard him. You, you're on the perimeter. He's he's passing dimes. He's throwing it behind his back. Uh, you know, tremendous eyesight, eye vision, and and I would say like he is primarily like the go-to big guy. I would say at least in that matchup.
1: Do you think we'll see in this one maybe a little bit of that old school of dropping it into Joker to to go against A D or dropping it into A D to go against Joker or to to really get kind of a five matchup in the paint, or do you think that that's still gonna not gonna be the the lesser of the two evils?
2: I don't know. Like I I would say like one of the matchups. Would you put A D on Joker, you know, to start? You know, I'm not sure if or um But I feel like Joker's going to do what he does in the paint, find the opportunities where he can take advantage of whatever big guy or mismatch he has. AD, for the most part, you know, I think it's pick and pop, threat, lob threat, you know, uh, attack the basket. But I feel like Joker has the ability to, like, you know, back down, very nimble, spin on a dime, uh, baseline, either go for a shot or hook, hook pass. Baseline for a corner three, so uh, I feel that you know he has the opportunity to dominate. You know if he wants to stay in the paint. I'm not sure if I answered your question or not, but uh, you know. No, no,
1: no. no you it, did. Let, 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 let me let me ask another one off that. Which player okay. do you think would be more inclined to end up getting into foul trouble in this
2: series? Hmm. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like maybe AD may have an opportunity to, because he, I'm not sure how much Joker really cares about like, you know, the defensive end getting blocks and stuff, you know, (laughs) he has a load to do on the other end. But I feel like AD is going to have to, like, you know, you have Jamal Murray. You have, uh, you know, you guys have my former teammate Jeff Green, you know, going into the paint, attacking the basket. So, I think they're going to put pressure on AD to maybe to carry the load on the offensive end and then also protect the rim on the other end as well. So, uh, I think AD has the bigger chance of, of getting the foul trouble.
0: Which of these guys has been your favorite to watch in the postseason? Like, do you have a guy whose game really stands out to you among the guys that were involved in any part of this postseason?
2: You know, uh, I have an affinity for Joel. I had a, a job with the 76ers uh, uh, during the like the pandemic year. And I got to work with him and just seeing how, you know, nimble and strong. He hit me one time in the post with his shoulder. I couldn't move my neck for like a week, you know? <laughs> so um, I have an affinity for him, you know? And sometimes I feel that, uh, it, 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 and let me know if I'm wrong, but people always say, get your butt in the paint. And uh, sometimes I feel like, but the bigs, when he does get in the paint, he just gets double teamed. And, you know, he ends up passing it out. And then people start to say, why isn't he being aggressive in the in the post or be shooting too many threes? So I, I was always a player that always stayed back to the basket. So I, I could never find a happy medium. What do you guys feel like, you know, with Joel? You know, should he stay in the paint or should he, you know, what's the happy medium there?
1: Well, I listen, I think in the league today you do both, right? You have your opportunities in the paint. You see this guy dropping threes as well. Uh, Just like Joker. So, I mean, I think that's the NBA of today, that be versatile. Be a guy in the paint when you need to be, but be versatile enough to be a threat out of the paint to not just, they're going to say, well, we'll leave you alone outside the paint because we know you can't do anything when you know we can. So talk about that for a minute. When you worked with him, where he was in his development to a guy who we all thought eventually could be an MVP to the player we see today as an MVP.
2: You know, the, the, I will say I, when I was with him, like, what, three-plus years ago, um, it was always about getting him in shape for the season, like, uh, around the summer. So it was just like he had the 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 footwork. He had that, you know, pocket – you know, James Harden, one-five, uh, step-up, pick-and-roll, and then he gets it in the middle of the – around the free throw line there for, like, the little pop shot. But for him, he had that, but it was just making sure he gets continuous reps over and over and over so he doesn't get, you know – doesn't get tired. So that was primarily like the biggest thing with him is just like he has all that, all the footwork he has, everything he needs. It's just like sometimes, you know, he may get winded after a while and need a little bit of a break, you know, uh, you know, the, the the vets that I had when I played, uh, Jeff Foster, Rasha uh and all those guys, they're always like trying to push me. It's like, you know what, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I'm saying that he obviously he's the MVP great player achieve more than anything that I could have done. But for the most part, it's just that he has the talent. It's just that, you know, maybe can he sustain it the whole time, the whole year, you know, working hard like that, you know, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're just coming off of, you know, a a potential closeout game for them. They blow the 3-1 lead in the series against Boston, and there's a lot of people coming after Joel Embiid for comments that he made after the game about the state of that team going forward. How much of this, and what happened in that series in particular, is fair to really dump in Joel's lap, considering he is the MVP?
2: Um, Do I like, I mean, he took accountability. He said he needs to get better. Yeah. He wants to get better next year. Um, You know, with how the NBA is, sometimes I want to know how much rope does a certain team have before they feel like, all right, you know what? When is the time that this is not going to work anymore? When's does it start to think about the next thing? But at the same time, you know, I am a person that said some real, some messed up, not messed up, but like (laughs) some uh, foolish things in in press conferences and stuff like that. But uh, I would like to, uh, you know, seeing him talk about the team getting better, but when you're the... MVP and you have Harden, you know, who's a, uh, you know, top 50, top 100 player um, or, uh, you know, I, I would think that uh, the onus would be on those two. So as an older guy, older statesman, you know, who's made mistakes, I would just have to say I think that uh, the onus needs to be on you to, you know, not to uh, push it down the line but to, you know, come back next year even stronger and, you know, say it was it was on me, you know. So speaking of that's that's an older school thinking, sorry.
1: Right. And 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 listen, there in in this day and age, there's still room for old school thinking, though some people may not think that there isn't, but there is still room for that. And speaking of coming back next year, for looking at James Harden in that series, he had two games, game one and four, where he scored plus forty points. The other five games, he was sixteen of thirty-three from the field, four of twenty-six from three point land. Is this a guy do you think needs to come back to Philly or do they need to go in a different direction here
2: Oof. I mean I I'm sure I've heard the same things you guys have heard about potential of Houston or somebody offering yep. him something this summer you know um I think about what could you he's still on the he's still on the contract or yep. he's got a, yeah I what, think there's an I mean, option this
0: summer where he's potentially got a player option this summer I believe is my understanding Okay
2: Yeah I mean I feel like you're so, uh, what's the sunken, with the sunken cost theory? Like you, you invested so much time and effort. You know, do you want to like, you know, restart again? And I'm just like, maybe James at a, at a discount, but I feel like they have chemistry there. You know, they, 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 they're able to score. They're a good one, two punch. You know, obviously they have to be healthy and play on the court together, but at the same time, and I have an old school way of thinking, but also a, dip in some new school thing like for some reason I feel like like having a sports psychologist you know for 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 James maybe to help get over any of those you know get, you know playoff ips or something like that you know just to to, to get him over the hump because he has all the talent and you know uh it's just it's just that uh, I would like to see him go over the hump and I feel like Philly should be the place where he ends his career uh I mean could do you want a guy, you know, who's going to be 30, what, I'm not sure how old, who's, uh, you know, this puts up shots. You know, I think he can get into a groove here. Hopefully another year, year or two.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, to your point, James Harden, 33 going on 34. So it, it definitely getting towards the twilight years here. Going off one of the other big headlines, because you've mentioned a couple times, old school thinking you're a guy now with a lot yeah. more years under your belt looking at these situations. With John Morant, what's going on with him and the Memphis Grizzlies? They've suspended him from team activities right now after another video of him emerges, You know, supposedly dangling a gun out on social media. <laughs> When you see what's gone on with him, as a guy who was around this league for a long time, what would your advice be to a young player in Jaws' situation?
2: So I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back to uh, uh, players who you would know. Like I said, my vet when I first got in the league with Jeff Foster. I don't know if you guys remember remember yep. him, but he was a hard nosed, hard working guy. And uh, the set my second year in the league, uh, we drafted Paul George and Lance Stevenson in the second round. And Lance, not to the extent where he's, you know, doing you know dangling guns, but he had, like, a little bit of a history you know, uh, of some stuff. And, and, you know, I'd see Jeff in the locker room literally grab Lance, but like, you know how a lion grabs its cub? This is, like, the first early years, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, nobody needs to do that to, to jive, but, like, uh, having that older presence in that locker room, you know, really did say a lot. You know, like Troy Murphy as well, Mike Dunleavy, and everything like that. So it was a little bit of stability. And those young guns in, I guess you can use that word, but those young <laughs> players in Memphis are just, you know, they have they have something brewing there, but, you know, and jives at the head of it. But uh, I feel that, you know, first time making the fence, you know, uh, the NBA, you know, uh, responded, I would think you would learn your lesson. So you may have to sit down for a little bit longer Um, you know, to to figure this out because the NBA is in his hands. He's like could be the face of the NBA. You know, Golden State just lost. We I'm not sure how the how that team is going to be. Memphis could be could be right there in the next couple years. You know, so uh, I I feel that uh, at least in the locker room there should be a, a older veteran presence because when I played, the players always the coaches and players said like once you leave the the arena, you're on your own. You you can't have somebody hold your hand for you and everything like that with the decisions you make. So, um, at least in the locker room, there should be like some older veteran presences, presence. Look at my man, George Hill. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he could be a good guy in Memphis, you know, to, to, to you know, so yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think a lot of people agree looking at that situation. We know that's a young team, and to have a guiding hand there might help them get to all the places we want to see them all go basketball-wise. Roy, we could sit here and talk hoops with you all day, but I've been dying since we started this to ask you what I think is the most important question, which (laughs) is – What was it like on the set of Parks and Rec, man? I'm a monster fan of that show. In addition to watching your NBA career, I remember seeing you and Detlef Schremp going one-on-one in Entertainment (laughs) 720. So what do you remember most about the experience being on that show?
2: So I I can honestly tell you, like, one scene that we filmed was probably, like, 15 seconds. It took, like, three to four hours to film. (laughs) That was the most nerve-wracking thing. Like, I I always said, I could hit a free-throw Eastern Conference Finals game on the line. Like I, I feel more comfortable doing that <laughs> than remembering my lines like on the dot because you know they're doing three hours and the first hour is you know close-up shots that's uh, basically from the script. The next hour is like you know wide angles and then the next hour is just the, the comedians just going off the top of their heads. And they're making me laugh, and I'm just telling myself, "Please, please don't mess up! Please don't mess up! Please don't mess up!" <laughs> but uh, it, it was it was nerve-wracking, though. It was nerve-wracking. But if you don't mind, can I tell you the story of how I how I got on? If you have time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, my wife and myself uh, uh, went to Georgetown, and we used to watch this show um, called The Good Wife. It was on uh, CBS, I think, back in the day, and it, it was based in Chicago. And I read an article saying that. Um, that uh, uh, Derek Rose was supposed to be on the episode, but then I, uh, he had missed his flight, so he couldn't make it. So I said to myself, "What? I love TV. What show could I be on that's like relevant?" You know. So I went through all the shows. I, I said, "Oh man, you know, Parks and Rec it's in Pawnee, Indiana." <laughs> so I called my agent David Falk, and I'm just like, "Hey, Falk, can you like, is there any way you could pull some strings to get me on this show?" He was like, "All right, let me let me work on this." Within a couple of days, he has Lauren Michaels on the phone. We're on a three-way call. He was like, "All right, we'll get this done for you, uh, uh, David." And he put him in, uh, put me in touch with Mike Shore, who is a producer and everything like that. And then I got on the show, and it was just crazy to me that you know uh, that, that that happened though. So it, it was it was it was definitely fun to fun to do.
1: Wow, way to be proactive!
2: Nice. Yeah.
0: Say a lesson, a lesson, everybody out there. You you can't you can't win if you don't play. So go yeah. out there and shoot your yeah. shot. And it, uh, I'd imagine, yeah. do you get recognized for that as almost you know at, at times as much as you do for having been a former NBA player?
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot. Of, some people come up to me uh, when, like, when I'm in New York. People say, "What's up, Jello Shot?" That's one of the lines that I had in the show. They, <laughs> they said like they remember me from Parks and Rec. Though it was it's it's you know it's crazy to see. I did a scene with uh, Chris Pratt, and like he was this like like doughy guy. Now he's like Super Mario, and he's <laughs> over here Gu- Guards of the Galaxy and everything like that. Uh, so it's it's actually it was actually a fun experience. Um, uh, my agent did not like me really wanted to do it. He was always like, take care of the basketball stuff first, then you can do the other stuff. But I, uh, he he was cool with me after a while after I did that.
0: You cool. had to show him. You got the acting chops to make yep. it happen, man. That's uh, calling your shot <laughs> yeah. and backing it up in a big way. Roy, uh, we appreciate yeah. all the time today, man. This was a ton of fun. Hopefully well, we get a chance to do question, One question. Oh, yeah. One question. One yeah. question
2: for you guys. One yeah. question. So I'm going from you know uh, playing to, to I was a stay-at-home dad. Then I, I got the job in Philly. Right now, I transitioned to uh, working at CBS, uh, uh, doing uh, uh, in-game analyst work and stuff. Any advice you guys have for me in terms of uh, uh, going from uh, going in front of the camera? In terms of uh, you know, because I, I did I did the NCAA uh, right. uh, March Madness, you know, so I want to grow from there. Any advice you guys have for me in the media?
1: It reps, Roy. I would say reps. That's what I tell everybody. Keep doing, and and nowadays you can get a lot of it through shows like this you know, going going yeah. on to different shows that people ask you to come on and just talking more and more about basketball and what's going on and, and giving a strong opinion like you're doing, you know, not being afraid yeah. to say some things. But you're doing the right thing. Just just keep getting reps by going on shows. And if somebody asks you to do even if it's a small thing, just do it in the beginning so you, so you get used to what your comments are and kind of timing of everything as
2: well. Yeah, and do, I mean, do you feel like yeah? Oh, sorry, let you go ahead. Oh no, no, go for it, go for it. I was like, do you have to like? I feel like former athletes always have to come in and they have to have like a a hot line or they have to have like a a, a something. Cause I don't like. I'd rather talk about the sport and not do the extra stuff. You know, like Roy, I don't want, you know,
1: do not. If if that's not you, do not do it. There are those that like yeah. to yell and it works for them. You have to be yourself because as my dad always told me when the microphone goes on, if you try and put on an act, A, you got to do it all the time and B, people are going to see through that. So just be yourself. And yes, you do not have to yell. Everything does not have to be a debate. You do not have to have a hot take. Just be good at what you do and analyzing the game and talking about the game. As I told Mike when he was getting into this business, when you're analyzing your sport, don't tell me what happened. Tell me why it happened. Everybody can see right. what happened, but tell me what happened away from the ball and why that play was successful or not successful. Give me that information, and that's, I think, what people are going to appreciate because nobody's down in the court like, like you have been.
2: I got you. I got you. No,
0: it's huge, man. You'll, you'll do great. The other part, I mean, we all came from a world where coaching was at a premium. I always say finding feedback here is really tough. So if you can find someone who's willing to watch and give yes. you honest feedback, go over the game tape with you. As uncomfortable as it is hearing ourselves talk sometime, watching back and listening <laughs> to what you do, it, it goes a long way in figuring out how you want to present stuff and what you can do best. So, you know, it, but again, you got the mindset coming from the background in sports. Like, you'll be great.
2: It's going to be awesome. Yep, yep. Well, I appreciate the advice, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Nope. Like I said, I'm a big fan and and I appreciate all y'all's work and thank you for having me. No, we appreciate
0: the time, man. Big fans of yours. We'll definitely have to make this happen again soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, Roy. All right, great stuff. Uh, getting relived relive the parks and right glory days with Roy <laughs> Hibbert. Um, but let's try and finish this off the way we always do. Uh, this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to take you guys into the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. And make sure you're watching us live on Samsung TV Plus or DraftKingsNetwork.com. And let's get into this, uh, Dad, and start off with this. This is interesting out of Major League Baseball last night. We have got a little bit of uh, sign-stealing accusation, yeah. some sort of impropriety being thrown around after Aaron Judge and the Yankees beat up on the Blue Jays. So, in the middle of this game last night, the Yankees beat the Blue Jays 7-4, to and Aaron Judge, who has started off still, spoiler alert, hitting dingers this year yep. after 62 last year, Went yard when the Yankees were up 6 nothing. Now, at this point in the game, there had already been plenty of discrepancy and back and forth being argued about balls and strikes. Aaron Boone had already been thrown right. out of the game, the manager. And so Aaron Judge steps up to the plate in this matchup, and the broadcast crew for the Blue Jays points out that at one point during the at-bat, you can see him kind of look over, not moving his head, but just no, moving his eyes, eyes over to the Yankees' <laughs> dugout. Right. He then promptly beats another home run to death, sends that thing yard, and then has them continue to talk about this after. So, Dad, looking at this, did you see any room where impropriety might have entered here in an M- uh, MLB where we know, very, very aware of science stealing coming off of so, everything we went through? The so Astros?
1: there's there's things that are Ill- illegal, things that are not illegal, and things that are considered Bush League. He wasn't looking back at the catcher. Which is which, considered Bush League. Which is, is legal, you can do, but sure. it's considered Bush League. The one other things we, we new things we have in baseball is pitch com, where now pitcher and catcher can talk to to basically yeah signal one another without signaling one another right. right.
0: Try and curb the sign stealing right. by making right. it a nonverbal or non visual right. Communication.
1: So to not be able to steal signs there. Aaron Judge said he was peeking over at his dugout because there was chirping going on there. Again, it was a six zip game at that point, but there had been some some stuff going on. I would rather look at the pitches, okay? Yeah. At one point, it was one and two. The count was one and two, and two low and away. It's a catcher setting up low and away, two way low and away in the dirts. They're trying to get him to chase, right? To strike him out. They got a one and two count. Now it's three and two. Dude hangs one, belt high. All right, you saw where the catcher was setting up, and the catcher had to bring his glove into the strike zone, belt high. You know, secret out. Dude can belt one when you put it there. So less of him stealing a sign and more of don't throw the pitch there and let him knock it out of the park.
0: Yeah, I I, I can understand why people's antennas are up about this. I can understand why people would have worries or concerns about this, but... To hear from anyone from the Blue Jays' side anything other than, yeah, that pitch appeared to end (laughs) up in a place where it wasn't supposed to go against one of the best hitters and best home run hitters in Major League Baseball. You played a stupid game and you won a stupid prize in a game where they were already beating you up. So we are going to officially, here in the court, bang the gavel, all rise, and exonerate Aaron Judge of any wrongdoing based on what we've seen there. Uh, Dad, let's get to that. This one, uh, pretty interesting in the college football world. We have got a new commitment. Surprise, surprise. Georgia football appears pretty good at this whole recruiting thing. They get a commitment from the number one prospect in the 2024 class of Dylan Raiola, the son of Dominic Raiola, the former NFL center, longtime offensive lineman for the Detroit Lions and others. He now joins what is a crowded and talented quarterback room in Georgia. He had originally been committed to Ohio State, decommitted back in September. His dad in Nebraska, great. They had been in the mix. USC had been in the mix. And now he finds his home as Yeti. Another blue chip prospect in the Georgia quarterback room, waiting to be undone by some walk on who's going to walk in there and catch so, a Kirby Smart's eye. So,
1: th- real quickly, this is the best line of this whole thing. He's the second highest graded recruit ever by Georgia, according to Twenty Four Seven Sports.
0: Yes, he is the second highest ever recruited player by the Georgia Bulldogs
1: since they started ranking stars. Who was the first? Justin Fields. Justin Fields, who, who <laughs> made hay at Ohio State. So this is another crowded room where not all the quarterbacks are going to stay there. The, the the one The thing about this story is how old it makes me feel. Yeah. For Dominic Riola, his dad, who I saw at Radio Row, I called Dominic's last game at Nebraska when he played Northwestern in a bowl game and then some of his NFL games. He was a tough player. Oh. And as tough an old lineman as you would find – and he turns out the number one quarter the number one prospect. Forget yeah. quarterback. The number one prospect, good sized kid. I think he's six three, six four, like two twenty. And he plays at a school. I, I spent a lot of my time in in Scottsdale. He's 20 minutes, 15 minutes. We go to a dog P- park. Pinnacle Peak High School. Yeah, Pinnacle Peak High School. There's a dog park right there we go to, and there's the high school. And I didn't know his kid went there, so it'd be fun to kind of follow him uh, through the year. But to your point again about that Georgia room, all those Georgia quarterbacks were either four or five stars. Yeah, so and they're you know currently what, you know, sitting with
0: yeah. uh, Gunner. Uh, they did add Gunner Stockton in 2022. They didn't sign a quarterback in the most recent <laughs> cycle, and he's going to join Carson Beck and Brock Vandegriff. And all of those guys had been there for a while. Vandegriff another five-star player but the rest of those guys all four stars and all have been in the room for a couple years so unlike what we've seen around a lot of college football and what we expect in this room it's a loser-leaves-town match, right? Not all of these guys are going to continue to be right, here. Right. A couple of them are draft eligible but haven't played any games up until this point. And so, while one could hit a lick on a really good year and potentially try and pull on an Anthony Richardson, the expectation is more so, hey, they're going to go through and see who the starter is for this season. And then we'd imagine, like we've seen with Justin Fields and other members of this quarterback room, Ohio State's quarterback room in years past with a guy like Joe Burrow, there's going to be what's become the flavor of modern college football, Great quarterbacks, because they believe they're talented, they can come in and win this job, are going to congregate in some of the most dominant programs. And then once the dust settles, then if they're not the one guy starting in a position where only one can play, a bunch of other schools become the beneficiary.
1: Well, listen, it says it all that the top recruit of all time was Justin Fields, who ends up at Ohio State. Look at another quarterback who was highly rated that went to Ohio State with that NIL and Quinn Ewers. He gets out of there, bolts to Texas, and then Arch Manning goes to Texas. Now it looks like Quinn Ewers, won that job, at yep. least for this year, but that's going to be the most moved position there is in college sports, is the quarterback position when you get these crowded quarterback rooms.
0: Yeah, but uh Georgia now, again, Kirby Smart's trying so hard to resist his kink which is taking a walk-on or a former three-star and then putting him in in place of one of these five-stars. We'll see if he can resist the urge and maybe do what Alabama did. We've seen them operating. Yes, Stetson Bennett gave you great production. I'm not saying that that wasn't an offense that aired it out, but seeing blue-chip talent make its way to that position and then thrive would be the next step in the Georgia (laughs) Death Star. Um, But speaking of some people's kinks, let's get to the third. Oh, Um, gosh. This was not a headline I was prepared for. We had seen Janelle Monae dominate the internet in ways that were a little bit too uh, something on Main. Martha Stewart yesterday, it was announced, at 81 years old, becomes the oldest cover model for the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And Brandon, I, respectfully, I'm just saying, she looks wonderful. Respectfully. Respectfully.
3: Respectfully, she looks like the, the white queen of Requanda. Raku- uh, 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 she looks like <laughs> a, a fine vanilla piece of white leather. Uh, you know, she came. Oh. if you haven't seen the picture, she's wearing a, a low cut one piece, uh, has some messy sex hair, and she's wearing some drapes. And, and she says she's I, never felt better in her life. So uh, I wanted to give it up to Martha Stewart. This is an example of good home living, which is all a part of her brand. And, you know, she graces the cover of SI like Ashley Graham back in the day. Honestly, that is true. This is a
0: poster for everything Martha Stewart sells and claims to be about. Like, we hear all the time, black don't crack. This is an example that money don't crack either. Listen,
1: this is a person who has gone in directions. No, I mean, she was, you know, go buy her stuff in the store, watch her cook, learn her recipes. And then all of a sudden, she's in jail. Then all of a sudden, (laughs) she's best buds with Snoop. I mean, you want to talk about one of the most I can't believe these two are together hanging out. Now to SI swimsuit model at 81 years old. You can do nothing but tip your cap to her, right? Nothing but tip your cap.
3: She said it best in the interview. She said she felt like this was the biggest challenge for her coming to the swimsuit at her age, and she felt like she met the challenge, and she did. <sighs> yeah, I, Wow. Uh, putting it lightly. Martha, what's up? Okay,
0: just, 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 yo. Just, I mean, end the show. Respectfully. End the show. Respectfully. End the show. See you guys tomorrow. End the show.
2: Boom. Money in the bank.